Okay, I think we can go ahead and begin now. Um, those of you who have now heard me say this three times, apologies, but thank you very much for being here um, for this very, very exciting event. Um, the title of which is In Between Identities and Cultures, Ms. Marvel and the Representation of Young Muslim Women. Um, so welcome. Thank you very much for being here. I'm really excited uh, personally to be chairing this very, very exciting event. Um, really looking forward to what I'm sure will be a very, very rich discussion. Um, my name is Polly Withers. I am a Leverhulme Early Career Research Fellow in the Department, sorry, in the uh, Middle East Centre. Um, I work on issues related to popular culture, commercial media, with a specific focus on the Middle East and more kind of um, concentratedly in Palestine. So because my work chimes so much with the presentation today, I am in a very selfish way, very, very excited about the um, both the report and the conversation that we're shortly going to have. Um, so just going to run through some very brief housekeeping. Um, this event is one hour. Um, it will finish on or around six o'clock. Um, the speakers will present for around 20 to 25 minutes. Um, and then we'll have time for the Q&A. So if you'd like to ask a question, and please do ask questions, you can use the chat box, which you ought to be able to see at the bottom of your Zoom screen. I'm sure everyone's very well versed in Zoom by now. Um, but so please do put your questions into the chat box, which I will be monitoring. I will then ask the speakers your questions as and when, uh, sorry, in the, in the Q&A. Um, just to note that this, event is being recorded. It's also being live streamed on Facebook. Um, if you'd like to tweet about the event, you can use, use the hashtag LSE Middle East hashtag on Twitter. Um, and please do engage. Um, we always, you know, love to hear from our audiences. So thank you very much for being here. Um, just to introduce the speakers, we'll then move on to the, the presentation. So our first contributor is Mamit Bambra. Um, Manmit is a research officer in the Religion and Global Society Unit at LSE, and she's also coordinating its inaugural project, Strengthening Religious Cooperation in Global London. The project is exploring the impact of COVID-19 on interfaith relations and the potential for interfaith collaboration in these circumstances. Her research interests are centered around identity politics and formation, ethnic, religious and national identities, as well as the broader themes of race, inclusion and minority rights. She has recently worked on research projects with young people at LSE's European Institute and the LSE Middle East Centre. She's also lecturer in global polit politics at Imperial College London. So thank you, Manmit, for being here. Um, our next speaker is Jennifer Jackson Priest, who is Associate Professor in Nationalism with a joint appointment in both the European Institute and the Department of International Relations at LSE. Jennifer's research interests include normative responses to nationalism, ethnic conflict and religious intolerance, human and minority rights, multiculturalism, minorities and migration in Europe. Since the 1990s, she has had a sustained engagement with problems and practices of minorities and migrants. Um, so thank you, Jennifer, for being here. Um, and our third and final speaker is Dima Issa who is a senior lecturer of mass media and communication at the University of Balamand in Lebanon. Her research has primarily focused on Arab diaspora and media consumption, looking at ways in which identity is constructed and reconstructed through space and time. In addition, her interests include gender and representation, popular culture and audience studies, 
new media and technologies and social networking. Before academia, Dima worked in the corporate sector in media relations, publications and website management, as well as in broadcast journalism. So very warm virtual welcome to our three speakers who I'll now pass over the floor to. So welcome and, um, and thank you. Thank you very much, Polly. Um, and thank you to everyone for joining us in what I hope will be a really enriching conversation today. Uh, my colleagues and I have a game plan for keeping this short and sweet so we can mostly interact with all of you. I'm going to say a few words about the overall findings of the project. I'm then going to pass on to Manmit, who will talk a little bit about London and Sharjah, and Dima, who will then bring in Beirut. And I will conclude with some comments on Singapore and then we will pass over to Polly for her thoughts and obviously to all of you uh, for what I'm sure will be some interesting comments uh, and inputs. To say a few words about the project, I think really I should begin by saying a few words about the Camilla Khan character of Ms. Marvel, who is, of course, the prompt uh, really for the project. Those of you who aren't aware, uh, what makes Camilla Khan as Ms. Marvel interesting and I think very worthy of a discussion today is the reimagining of what has been a prominent character within the Marvel comic pantheon, but in a very different way. So the original Ms. Marvel, who was Carol Danvers, now promoted to Captain Marvel, uh, was very much the quintessential blonde-haired, blue-eyed, all-American girl. And now we have Kamala Khan, who is a daughter of Pakistani immigrants growing up in Jersey City, and she therefore shows us a range of intersectionalities, not least, of course, also her Muslim identity, which she is also navigating as she's exploring what it means to be a migrant, what it means to be an American teenager, uh, and equally, of course, what it means to be a superhero, which is another exceptionalism. Uh, all of that is very fruitful for us to reflect upon as we try and think through, which we do in the project, the way the audience that is represented within that comic book, this is young Muslim women, and indeed the youth who are the target audience, the readership of that comic respond to this representation. And it's very much that third space between the text and the reader that we're interested in. So there've been a, a number of fascinating articles that have done very interesting textual analyses of Ms. Marvel, uh, but ours is different in that we really wanted to talk with the audience and with the young women who feature in that comic and explore what it meant to them uh, and their own interpretation of it and its significance as a representation of their lived realities. When we went about doing this, uh, we were interested in looking for liminal in-between spaces, uh, places where there is a coming together of different intersection sections around identity, but also culture and influence. And so we've picked three, um, four, I should say, metropoles. We have London, uh, we have Sharjah, we have Beirut, and we have Singapore. And what we found in each of these places was a, a commonality in that two big themes stood out. There was an awful lot of conversation around identity and around the lived experiences of young women and their intersectional realities. And that was a direct response to the portrayal of Ms. Marvel. But equally, we also had an extended conversation in all of these places around the theme of 
representation and misrepresentation. And here we really encountered some interesting ambivalences in response to the comment. Well, everywhere, um, there were many voices that saw this as a positive step and could definitely relate to Ms. Marvel by virtue of, of her intersections. At the same time, in all of these places also, there were those who thought Ms. Marvel was unrelatable uh, because she was unidimensional. There was too much focus on her Muslimness to the detriment of other facets of her identity, or who felt that there was a lack of authenticity in the representation of Ms. Marvel, and especially in her Muslim or migrant background. And then a final position viewed all of this um, rather more in terms of cultural appropriation for profit. And so in that sense, we had an interesting conversation around the comic book as industry uh, and the ways in which diversity might well have been positioned, not so much in terms of wanting to recognize, uh, but rather wanting to create more demographics in terms of sales uh, and so on. So it was an interesting and wide ranging conversation that we had in all of these places. Uh, and I'm looking forward to following it up with all of you. Um, at this point, I'm going to hand over to Magnet. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Polly and uh, colleagues and friends at the Middle East Centre. It's great to be here today with Jennifer and Dima. Um, it's, this is a piece of research that has taken several years to um, finalise the data collection and analysis because it's, it's such a, a big piece of work that has um, deliberately looked at these issues in different contexts. Um, so it has been uh, an incredibly insightful and, and, and fun project to do. Um, and um, I think for me, uh, my background is looking at identities and uh, ethnic minorities in the UK. I've never looked at comics before, so it was a first for me, but this was so um, interesting to see how this character opens up conversations um, that are both unique to minority women, but also have commonality across different ethnic groups. So we find that um, Kamala is a character that is representative of a unique minority Muslim woman experience, but somehow she's able to draw in um, bridges with other young people too. So I'll talk about that in a little more detail. So first, a, a few comments about the method methodology. Um, as I said, this is a, a large project, certainly the largest project that I've ever been involved in to date. Um, and we conducted um, research in four sites. And we're very happy that Dima, who conducted uh, the fieldwork for us in, in Lebanon, has been a, a great collaborator with us, is, is here today. We also had two um, uh, researchers, Mariam and Abdul, uh, and uh, Mariam, um, and uh, Iman in Sharjah, who conducted a, a, a very large amount of data collection for us. And I think something that we were, Jennifer and I spoke about when we when we thought about the, the fieldwork was how appropriate is it for us to do this research in these contexts? And, you know, isn't it more um, fruitful and, and more, um, you know, would it produce better work if we just had collaborations with other female researchers in these in these localities that were able to do this work and draw out those, um, you know, those unique contextual insights that perhaps we wouldn't be able to do. So we were able to, uh, we were very fortunate that um, the centre facilitated these collaborations for us. And we actually ended up doing um, a piece of, of research that had 150,000 uh, transcribed words at the end of it, so a large corpus of data, but also we had 182 project participants across four localities. And we very much conducted the, the analysis from a, you know, a grounded perspective. We didn't want to impose a theory on, on, on what we were finding, but rather than let the results emerge and then see where we ended up. 
So I'll talk a little bit about London um, and um, the data collection there. London was the first site that Jennifer and I did our, our research, and she just told me that we started uh, in 2017. Um, and so we did research across the, the, the time span. And there are consistencies in what we find in, in this project across the different localities, but there are unique experiences, I think, within the, the different localities. And for London, there's a few things that um, I'll mention here briefly, and we can come back to them in the discussion. The first thing is really the what I've called kind of the challenges and, and realities of multiculturalism and dual identities. And this is very much some of the work that I do, but you see that during our London interviews, young Muslim women spoke at length about the similarities between theirs and Kamala's experiences of being a minority women in a wider Western context and the challenges of belonging to multiple identities, especially here in the UK, you hear a lot about, you know, dual identities, you know, um, the, the, the constant debate around the, the, the social in and cultural integrations of ethnic minority young people. And we found that young, young women in particular were really drawing on this and talking about actually you know, their experiences are similar to what Kamala's experiencing, you know, that, 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 that challenge of trying to find a place where they can fit in, where they can, you know, be both British, be Muslim, be a good student, daughter, sister. So they, they're negotiating these identities. What's interesting for us is at that point of having this focus group, Kamala actually opens up these conversations. So she's a universal character. And actually Sana Amanath, who, who is the creator of Miss Marvel, has drawn on her own experiences of the intersecting um, identities of race, gender, and religion that she experienced as a young young woman growing up um, in the US. So there is certainly um, a way that this character is normalizing these conversations and, and allowing minority women to really think about that. And you know, you hear some of this in, in debates, but we really tapped into the everydayness of this challenge in, in the focus groups. Um, also in London, intersections, and Jennifer spoke a little about the intersections of identity that we experienced, it was very much about the intersection of Islam, ethnicity, and race, and not being normal, and no normal is the, the comic that we used in, as a, as a, in, our, in our focus groups. And it was um, in London, it, young women were talking about not, not normal, not being not normal was in terms of Islamophobia and fear of um, you know, the repercussions of Islamic-inspired terrorism. And young Muslim women often said in the, in the interviews, actually, they feel that they're the most visibly different. They stand out in such a unique way. And the burden of, of what's going on is, is, is charged upon them. And they really feel that. And, they, and Kamala also feels that in the, in the comic. You know, she's experiencing the more subtle um, forms of Islamophobia that only, I think, some minority people can understand. And they were really able to draw out, you know, their experiences. And, and, um, we really heard a lot from them about that. So again, the comic is, is drawing in the, the way that minority women, Muslim women, are this, experiencing this across the globe. Now, there's a lot that I've said about you know, Muslim women, but Kamala Khan is an interesting character. She's able to simultaneously give voice to the, 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 the experiences of, of women, of minority women, Muslim women in particular, but the, the, there's something else there. So the, 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 the focus groups that we conducted in London were both just Muslim women on their own, but we also had other focus groups where there were more diverse participants because we wanted to, have, wanted to examine these issues in a, in a different setting. And although she's representing that unique minority experience, what she's also doing is, is drawing out these common themes of just growing up, you know, arguments with the parents and your siblings and who are my friends? Where do I fit in? That negotiation of who you are that 
often is happening in these quite formative years. So Kamala's doing both. She's able to represent the uniqueness, but she's also a very interesting and important character in the sense of she's able to build bridges. So she's creating bonds and bridges at the same time by drawing in that, that commonality. And young women from other backgrounds, when they um, we, we presented them with the comic, really talked about, you know, the, the way that they could relate to her also. So she doesn't just relate to a certain cohort of people. She might do it in, in a certain way, but she's more than that. So very briefly, talking about um, interviews in, in Sharjah that were conducted um, by um, the two other researchers, you do see similar things there in terms of intersecting identities, gender. But one thing that perhaps we can talk about in a little bit more detail is we found in Sharjah that Kamala being Pakistani was much more of a salient issue in that context. Um, and it didn't come out in the same way in London as it did in Sharjah. And I think it's, it's quite good that it was somebody else doing the research because it gave it a bit more kind of an unbiased uh, you know, setting. And young people there were saying, well, yeah, she's great, but she's, she's Pakistani and they're, they're so different from us. So young, a lot of young Arab men and women, you know, Emiratis were saying, well, yeah, she's not, she's not one of us. You know, she's very different. So I think there's something to be said about how universal she is in, in particularly in that context. Um, so I think that's something we can discuss. So we do see actually that there's more demand for more local superheroines such as Emara, who's an Emirati superheroine that speaks to the experience of young women and young people in particular settings. So perhaps that's something we can talk about um, in the discussion. I'll hand over to Dima now. Thanks so much, Manmit. It was um, honestly really exciting to be part of this project. Um, it really kind of opened up spaces as well for um, uh, you know my students at the University of Balaman, you, you know undergraduates and graduates to kind of uh, discuss this the, the role of Arab women in society. That was kind of like the big um, the big theme that kind of emerged in in the discussions. Um, the University of Balaman, just a little bit of a background on it. It's it's in the north of Lebanon, uh, and um, as some of you may know, that you know uh, Lebanon is quite diverse. It has 18 different religious sects, and they're all kind of divided geographically. Um, and so while the University of Alamand houses some of, you know, some religious sects, it doesn't house all of them. So, I mean, there was, uh, you know, a representation, but obviously, was, you know, we weren't able to, to represent all the different religious sects that were that were in Lebanon. Um, uh, so um, another thing is, is that uh, the, the university is in a, it's in a village, so it's a very different kind of atmosphere than the city lifestyle. So a lot of the people, you know, a lot of the students, they still live with their parents, they still live at home rather than in dorms. I mean, it still has, you know, students from Beirut and the neighboring and the neighboring uh, uh, areas, but a lot of the students uh, there are still living at home with their families. So very kind of like uh, sheltered lifestyles. Uh, the focus groups took place and, you know, we're talking about context and context is extremely important here because because the focus groups took place from December 2018 to February 2020, uh, where Lebanon was, you know, going through a massive kind of decline uh, economically, politically. Uh, I mean, till now that there's there's just so much turmoil. So, you know, students were really kind of uh, unsettled. They were really kind of concerned about their future, about where they were going to go. So those kind of discussions came up as well within, you know, this, the, the, you know, the the, the focus group setting. Um, and I just thought that was really important because, you know, these dynamics. 
yes, they're they're quite you know private based on their own backgrounds and you know interests and their social positioning, but also very dependent on the external factors of what was happening to the country at the time. Um, so you know, uh, po popular culture is always kind of that great kind of way to really assess and to see the way uh, you know uh, the youth and their attitudes towards certain things that are going on in in the world, and it really helps us kind of uh, get a good indication of where they find themselves or where they position themselves. So um, this idea of representation signification was a huge kind of like uh, a theme that kind of uh, came up. Uh, while there were so many themes, th there were five main ones. The first one was, you know, this idea of issues facing Arab women in the Middle East. You know, this kind of, uh, you know, they, they really, they didn't, they didn't dissociate uh, this idea of Arabness and uh, and Muslimhood, which was which was interesting. This idea that yes, you know, they they, they acknowledged uh, uh, Kamala as a you know as a as a um, as a superhero who was Muslim, but they also kind of like didn't kind of uh, dissociate from this idea of Arabness uh, as well. Um, another thing was uh, this idea of representation of Islam and Muslim characters in the, in this Marvel. Uh, the idea of whiteness, whitewashing, and white gaze, and then finally this idea of identifying with uh, Kamala. So with the first kind of theme, this idea of, uh, you know, the issues facing Arab women, um, they all kind of brought up this uh, uh, this expectation that is placed on Arab women, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in the home, and these kind of expectations are very unrealistic in Arab society. Um, um, again, you know, this idea of, you know, them not making this distinction between Arabness and being Muslim for them, uh, you know, these issues that plagued women in the region were kind of common for, between, you know, all uh, Arab women, you know, obviously they acknowledged there were differences because like I said, there are so many different kind of religious sects, but you know, they, they, they felt that these women were all under the same kind of social structure. And so a lot of these issues were plaguing Arab women as kind of like whole, even though they, they talked about the heterogeneity of, you know, the different communities, but this was kind of like a common kind of thing. Um, uh, in some in some uh, cases, the discussion you know turned to kind of ideas of patriarchy and systems enforced on you know global global kind of like uh, uh, patriarchal systems, and then kind of brought into the Arab world, which was kind of like another level. But this is also very much determined on their uh, major, which is interesting because you know uh, students from the polit political science department were talking a lot about you know, patriarchy and power, and then you had the mass communication students who were talking about their own experiences about choosing their major and you know, how their parents kind of were uh, disappointed that they didn't go into a more scientific field, very much like Kamala and her mom, that discussion that they had in the comic book. So really kind of finding that uh, a sense of reflection uh, within that relationship between the mother and, and Kamala. Um, with regards to the representation of Islam and the Muslim characters, you know, the first part of the comic with, 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 the, with the bacon and hijab, it, it sparked a lot of criticism from most of the, of the participants. One participant found it funny, but everyone else were really kind of like offended by it and found it really, really ridiculous. And they didn't like the fact, like, you know, uh, Manma was saying, and, and that, that this idea that, that, that the Muslim religion was represented by things that they couldn't do. So this idea that things were forbidden um, and, you know, this led to a debate on, you know, on Miss Marvel having to to reject and rebel against her religion um, or, you know, uh, that she had to kind of like hide from herself uh, to be able to, to, you know, hide from her religion to be able to, to become a superhero, uh, which one of uh, which one of the participants called this crisis of 
religion. Um, so, you know, for most of the participants, um, it just further propelled stereotypes about Muslim women, which they found really unnecessary in this kind of superhero context. Um, and, you know, this idea that religion was so overt and overtly kind of discussed was something that they talked about a lot. You know, they were not, they were really kind of critical about that um, uh, as part of that narrative uh, within, within the comic book. And, you know, the idea of the hijab was another kind of context, this idea that it's a very Western perspective of the hijab. Um, and, you know, the way that the, the, book, the, the comic tackled the hijab was a very kind of Western, you know, concept, like, were you forced to do it, that kind of thing, that really kind of, um, or, you know, that was another kind of debate that, that was happening uh, in class. And again, you know, like uh, Manmit and Jennifer were saying, this idea of authorship and ownership, right? Uh, this idea that it kind of, uh, that the way that the comic was kind of, um, was, was written was to, to, to further stereotypes for capitalist to gain. And that kind of conversation uh, also took up this idea of whitewashing uh, the Muslim religion. And of course, the different characters. So you had, you know, Miss Marvel's uh, brother who was seen as a complete extreme, uh, uh, you know, uh, character uh, and, and, and character of Kiki who's, who, who wears the hijab, but was always kind of seen as angry or mean. Um, and then coming back to this third, you know, this theme of whitewashing in the white gaze. So the two of the focus groups talked about the Black, Black, Black Panther franchise. And, you know, they were saying how Black Panther was a really kind of great uh, uh, Marvel move. You know, it really showed uh, a kind of like, uh, you know, a diversity uh, from other kind of whiter characters within Marvel. But they were no, they, they were talking about how, you know, with Black Panther, it's all about the pride of the culture. Whereas, you know, with Miss Marvel, the religion and culture was not something, you know, it's something that she had to rebel against, not to be really proud of like the Black Panther uh, uh, franchise. So again, this idea of, of uh, uh, pride versus kind of um, almost embarrassment at some points. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, confusion towards what, what this, why she turned into this white uh, blonde woman and this transformation, that was another kind of topic that came up. And then finally, this identifying with Kamala Khan, uh, it was very much related to the relationship that she had with her mother. So that was a lot of the things that the participants talked about and felt that they could relate to themselves. And also this idea of, of her rebellion aside, uh, regardless of religion, uh, but also this idea that she was quite an awkward, nerdy character, and they felt that they could relate to that. So those were kind of like the main, you know, trajectories that came up within, you know, this, this discussion um, within, within um, you know, that focus group uh, within Lebanon. Uh, but I found also one which was really interesting was, you know, um, then when, when we screened as well, the, 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 the feature film, when they were talking about, you know, this idea of constant need for reassurance. So, you know, Miss Marvel needed reassurance from Captain Marvel, who was a white character, and then Captain Marvel needed reassurance from uh, Captain America, who was a, a male. So kind of, you know, this intersection of race and gender as well kind of coming out uh, uh, in, these, in these discussions. So um, that's it from the Beirut uh, focus group. Thank you. And then in Singapore, uh, we had yet another take on Ms. Marvel because it, in this particular location, Ms. Marvel is understood as an Asian superhero. And there is a clear relatability in looking at that comic, understanding it as a representation of Asian values, uh, particularly privileging the role of the family and in particular, the expectations of parents toward their children to be successful uh, and to be working hard and to be doing what is best, not only for themselves, uh, but also for the collective that is the family. So in that sense then, uh, Miss Marvel is read as emblematic of a distinctly Asian cultural understanding. But interestingly, uh, what is critiqued within Ms. Marvel 
are the beginnings of a movement of that character towards a more American disposition. So the representation of Ms. Marvel and her brother, perhaps as being less hardworking than the parents was understood to be much more of an incursion of an American point of view. Um, equally, very much as Dima has already discussed, interesting discussion on the wearing of the hijab or in Malay, the tudong, uh, but again, a perception that this being represented as something controversial or different isn't appropriate or relatable within a Singaporean context where it is very much in the focus of every day. So when we had these conversations in Singapore, uh, we got a lot of discussion of what was Asian and what was Western and therefore not Asian. Uh, but equally, we had discussion around what was normal in the context of Singapore and in particular the official narrative of Singapore, which is very much emphasizing multiculturalism, uh, interracial harmony in Singapore between the Chinese and the Muslim Malays and the Indians and the Eurasians and of course the white expat population uh, as being a necessary for modernization and development for the success of Singapore and something that Singaporeans were strongly inculcated in as part of growing up there. Um, however, when we looked beneath the surface, we also found interventions, more minimal, but nevertheless consistently recurring, which would also point out that at the same time, there were experiences of Chinese privilege, particularly in hiring, uh, and equally of pejorative ethnic humor, uh, uh, also a normal experience, um, and one that the participants were aware of as a possible problem, uh, but also didn't wish to confront too fully because it conflicted very much with the narrative of multicultural Singapore that they had so strongly inculcated within them and that they wanted very much to believe was normal for Singapore and set Singapore apart uh, from other nearby surrounding states, but equally also from the West, uh, where the reading in Singapore was that racism is a problem and a practice of the West and not something uh, that was or should be understood as emblematic of Singapore. So again, it was an interesting representation um, of the various intersections happening in Singapore. Uh, and again, connecting up with these common strands of conversation around what it means to be normal, what it means to be not normal, mediated through these local discourses around official multiculturalism, but at the same time, nevertheless, everyday issues, uh, which continued to be experienced uh, in a more problematical way by the different communities there. Um, I'm going to end it here and I'm going to pass over to Polly. Uh, and as I said, I'm really looking forward to the conversation still to come. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Jennifer, Dima and Manmit for that very, very, very enriching talk and um, presentation of the, the report. The report is also very, very enriching. I'd encourage audience members to read it if you haven't yet. Um, so just again, a tiny bit of housekeeping. Please do um, use the chat box to ask any questions you have for the presenters about the presentation or the, the wider report. Um, I am monitoring the chat box and will ask uh, questions when they come in. However, I am going to monopolize my chair's prerogative um, to offer some, some thoughts and, um, and comments on this very, very um, enriching report. So thank you so much again to our fantastic speakers. I think this report was, um, and the presentation that you just gave, 
was a very provocative overview of the kind of potentials as well as the pitfalls of representation for opening out debates around things like ethnicity, belonging, lack of belonging, um, gendered, I don't know, rebellion, even though that was kind of problematic as the way it came up in the in the um, in the conversations, Dima, as you were saying. Um, so thank you so much for 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 kind of opening this conversation in this way. I think what for me was very, very interesting about these kind of potentials and pitfalls was the way in which the local and the transnational kind of somehow intermingled through the character of Miss Marvel, thinking about local um, gender references, for example, intermingling with transnational uh, gender references. I mean, I know um, not only gender, but this for me is, was the thing that was very, very, very interesting. Um, I was particularly struck in the report, and Jennifer, I think you mentioned it very briefly at the beginning, and Dimi, you also touched on it a little bit, um, about the kind of thinking about these tensions, the kind of ways that the local and the transnational meet and intermingle through characters like Miss Marvel. Um, I was very struck by the way in which somewhat young women saw the character of Miss Marvel as being kind of this commodified figure who had kind of taken... Um, or appropriated certain aspects of certain parts of identity in order to sell products. Um, this, I think, is very, it's, it's a very rich um, and very, very kind of um, big research theme. Um, it reminded me your report very much of Bell Hooks is eating the other, this kind of commodifying difference for the as a kind of spice to light up otherwise dull white culture. Um, I wondered if anyone wanted to say a little bit more about about the kind of the commodified aspects of this, thinking in particular in my own work at the moment, I'm very interested in reflecting on the way that certain brands of feminism or certain forms of feminism kind of can go transnational or travel globally, thinking about things like popular feminism, kind of feminist light. Um, Dima, you mentioned this in, in terms of race, thinking about which kind of racial identities, which, which racial, racial politics are able to kind of you know, end up on our Hollywood blockbuster screens. Um, and I'm wondering what's lost in these kind of dominant feminisms or dominant racial identities. What kind of, what do we lose when popular culture, commercial culture becomes kind of saturated with these um, sort of, I don't know, identities light, I guess. This was one thing I was very interested in about the from the report and also, um, you know, when you were just talking now. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask and I was very interested in this phrase, and I like very much how you did it, of kind of misrepresentation and identification. So thinking, as I was just saying, misrepresentation in terms of commodification. I was also interested in the way in which you reflected on identification, kind of very much through this lens of ethnicity, um, ethnicity, inclusion, non-inclusion, these sorts of things. I was wondering if any other identity um, formations or identity kind of facets emerge, thinking, for example, about class, sexuality, um, that because the discussion is very much kind of around ethnicity. I'm wondering if anything else emerged um, around different forms of inclusion versus inclusion in your in your discussions. Um, so I will stop there um, and, and hand back over to the, the floor. Um, and then um, please, audience, we'd great, be great to hear um, from you, too. Well, I'd say a few comments and reply back, Polly, on that theme of, of culture um, and whether or not it is truly representative or at some point becomes a form of commodification. Um, I think this was a fascinating theme that ran through it. Um, and in, 
obviously we come at this from our own particular disciplinary perspective. So for me, uh, this really raised the question of whether and to what extent we can actually talk of an emancipatory global culture or at what point it collapses into a cultural hegemony um, that is still Western and in this case, particularly American. Um, and I think that tension is definitely there. So the further you move away from the West, the more pronounced it becomes. I think many may, may disagree, uh, but I think in London, we had a more of a mixed response. So there was an awful lot more voices who thought it was relatable and felt they were closer to the experience of Ms. Marvel, the migrant Pakistani Muslim woman in the West. But when we stepped away from that and moved further you know, into these other parts of the world, it became more and more problematized. Uh, and I think once you did see that, you got a greater insight into, is it simply a projection of power? And is it therefore just the American cultural hegemon beginning to use these other identifications for its own purposes, but still with a view to maintaining its dominant position, uh, both in the understanding of popular culture, and clearly these are big brands that we're talking about. Marvel is a big, big brand, so is DC, uh, to the exclusion potentially, of course, of local comic book characters. And here we had some fascinating discussion around Amara, who is a local Amorati heroine, uh, but equally also conversation around manga, as an Asian comic form in Singapore. So I think that sense of imposition and resistance in imaginings of superheroes uh, was definitely there. And uh, for me personally, a fascinating insight into the power dynamics of culture, uh, both as a lived experience, but equally also as global power, um, not only cultural, but also economic. I don't know if either Issa or Manny would like to come in on that as well. Um, I can add a few uh, a few comments. I think I think for me, I think my background as an ethnic minority woman brought up in London that was in my mind a lot when I was hearing from people. And um, I think we need to. I think Sana Amanat, who's created this character, has really drawn on her own life here, and she's drawn on you know it's, it's basically you know she's a young young woman from Pakistan. She's Pakistani American, so she's very much drawing on the experiences. That she's um, she's encountered as as a, a minority woman in, in the U.S. and I think that I think we, as Jennifer said, there were different responses to this character in terms of is it a tokenistic gesture? I think I think minorities are very um, wary now in some ways of the way that they're represented, and is it you know is it a tokenistic gesture? Is it a way of making money? You know. We all think like that. I even I think like that sometimes. And I think that's just the way that our our experiences and our trajectories of being people of colour in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a white majority countries and the politics of race really in, in recent years has made us. Feel. So I think those were quite normal. In London, most uh, young people were quite positive about Miss Marvel. They, they, they looked more at her experiences, as I, as I alluded to earlier, you know, what she's going through and the, the kind of like the microaggressions that she faces, the little looks, the little kind of questions, the little comments, and they could really resonate. As Jennifer said, when we stepped out of that into different contexts, especially in um, Sharjah, it, uh, the, the, the responses were quite different. But then I think the question is where, where do, you know, no one character is gonna be able to fully encompass uh, the experiences of all, all Muslim women. On the other hand, sorry, I've got a bit of an issue with my chair. <laughs> um, on the on the other hand, um, that we need to not essentialize, 
you know, and have this kind of idea that there is one type of Muslim woman and one type of experience. So that there is that tension there, I think. And I think, I think, I think that's something to be conscious of. Um, one thing I will mention is um, those young women in London in particular that were quite wary of Miss Marvel and this move by Marvel Comics, they said to us, we'll take this character seriously when we see her on TV or we'll see her in a movie. And there seems to be, that seems to be happening now uh, in the sense that, you know, Ms. Marvel is being, you know, they were very wary in the sense that we presented them with the first comic that she was in and they were like, is this going to be like a flash in the pan and just go away? And that was kind of their their way of benchmarking whether Marvel comics was really serious. serious. So it would be interesting to go back to them, I think, at, at some time and ask them how they feel now that Ms. Marvel is going to be incorporated into the Marvel universe in, in, a, in a much more prominent way. I'll stop now. I mean, there's not much to add to what uh, Jennifer and Mama were saying. In, in Beirut, it was kind of the same idea that, yes, you know, they recognized that this was a valid experience and, and, and it's, a, it's an experience of the author, but not necessarily everyone's same experience. And this idea that, you know, why do we have to have this kind of narrative that's very uh, negative? Why can't it just be kind of integrated into her daily lifestyle? Why does it have to take center stage? Um, but, you know, like you were, you were saying, Polly, this idea that things that came up in conversation and and, and I have this in, in, you know, in my notes was, you know, topics that didn't really kind of revolve specifically about the comment, but this idea of sexuality, for example, um, this idea of how women's sexuality and men's sexuality were very different uh, in Lebanese uh, society, that really came out. And I, I just felt that it was kind of like a really comfortable space for students through this reading of, of Miss Marvel to start discussing things about their own lived experience uh, as, you know, as women, um, as, you know, uh, uh, women who were kind of like, you know, in, in, in these formative years that were, were that were changing. So kind of seeing how they were trying to, you know, take on their lived experience again and link it to, you know, what, 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 was, what was happening. And, you know, we talk about class a little bit, this idea, but for, for them, when they talked about class, it was much more about, you know, uh, uh, these structures that were these power structures that were in place and this idea of how, you know, through these class structures, uh, you know, they were able to to uh, relate or not to relate to the character of, of, of Miss Marvel. And there was something that was really interesting was this idea of, of the choice of, of occupation, like the mom was saying that, you know, she needs to go into engineering or stuff like that. And, you know, some of my students were like, you know, here are, you know, our parents want us to go into teaching because, you know, we're able to kind of balance out our domestic role in the house, but also teach so we have holidays with our kids. And it was just really interesting to see how they kind of, you know, linked their own conversations with, you know, their parents to the way that she was having conversations with her mom as well. So those were some other kind of things that, that you know, that came out with regards to different intersections as well. Just following on from what Dima has said, um, I think you can see this manifest through the data set, particularly in discussions around the body and clothing issues, what young women wear, expectations put upon them about what they should and should not wear, um, what they are able to choose for themselves, um, not only, of course, based on parental permission or not, but equally also sense of what they can afford to buy. So around the body, there is an awful lot of other intersectionality having to do with class as well as sexuality. Uh, and I think that was another rich vein that it would be interesting to go back and mine further. Um, as I said, it, it's an extremely rich data set. We're very fortunate in it. Final comment really from me, and it follows on the remark that Dima said, what stands out to me as I look back upon the whole experience was the power of using the comic book, not really 
just to talk about the comic book, uh, but as a way it seemed to open up to other conversations. It gave a kind of release to the participants in the focus group so they no longer felt self-conscious. Uh, they could talk first about Kamala Khan, but then from there, they could talk much more about their own experience. And I think as a research strategy, uh, it was particularly useful in that way. So the idea of having the visual prompt and having another story, not anyone's particular story, but nevertheless something that was close enough that could become a confident launching off point for their own narratives was really very effective. And it surprised me just how effective it was. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer, for that comment. I think I was very much struck um, when reading the report um, how kind of how how much the comic really does embody the, the sense that popular culture is a site for exploring um, conflicts or resistances or challenges or enactments, negotiations of things like gender, race, class, um, and these sorts of things. And I, I think that the methodological choice to use um, that comic enabled such a kind of rich body of data to kind of come out, which was just fascinating. Um, I wondered, um, and Jennifer, because you've taken us to methodology, I'm sort of dovetailing off of that, really. I, I was struck as well a little bit. Um, I, I wondered about the choice of the locality for the different, the four different sites. I wondered if you wanted to, um, you know, tell us a little bit more about this kind of the rationale between, uh, behind, sorry, um, using the, the four sites. Well, as in all things, there's a kind of balancing between what you would ideally like to do and what is practically possible. Um, and there's some fudging along the margins. Um, in, the, in the beginning, we had a strong sense that we wanted to pick global cities. So we wanted to have a sense of the metropolis as a liminal space and particularly cities where there had been an awful lot of cultural exchange uh, and where you would, therefore, we felt naturally find much more of this intersectionality of the sort that the comic book is trying to portray, but with different dimensions added to it because of the different regions. London was a natural starting point for us because we were in London um, and it allowed us to begin to pilot the project and plan it. Beirut, I think, was an obvious one. Um, in the Emirates, and I'm going to ask Manny to come in on this, we, we struggled to find a kind of research partners. And in part, that decision led us to Sharjah uh, because we found two wonderful colleagues there who were really engaged with the project. And so the choice of Sharjah was led in that sense from more of a practical side. Uh, and then Singapore gave us a different insight uh, to a, a different constellation of identity. And again, still very much a global city. Uh, Manny, do you want to come in a bit on the Sharjah? Because you work closely you know, with those researchers. Yeah, sure. I think, as Jennifer said, it's it's one of those projects where we, we wanted to have a wide scope. But I mean, I think there are certain contexts where these conversations are difficult and doing this type of work is challenging. And um, we did struggle for a while in the Emirates to find a part, uh, someone that would do the, you know, we, we were very keen to have local researchers do, do this work. I think it's very important um, to have people that are in that context living this experience. And, it, it, you know, when you've got, um, you know, a, a sort of like a Western-centric university going and, and doing that, that those conversations, even if the team is diverse, the conversations are often not as organic as you'd like them to be. So we, we're very keen on that. We did struggle, if I'm honest, to find someone that would do this work for us. And actually, it was uh, colleagues at the Middle East Centre 
that helped. It was uh, Sandra and Bob that kind of sat down and said, is there anyone do you think that we could potentially partner with? And one of um, um, a, a contact that they had said, well, I've actually got two amazing MSc students that are really interested in, in qualitative research. And I actually trained them on, 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 um, on Skype actually. So it was good prep for me with the, with the research I've done over the last year that's been all online. And um, Mariam and Iman, they did um, they did this work. They did this work, and they were master students interested in gender, and they were there, and they were able to draw on their contacts. Because one thing we were worried about is how much data can we get from there, and we needed we needed data sets to be fairly consistent across the sites for us to be able to make these kind of um, to do this analysis and look for consistent themes. And they produced um, an amazing data set for us. And I think having them do the work, it took us a while to find them, but was so important uh, for, for this project, as was as Dima doing the research for us in Beirut. So that's how we went about it. But we were able to keep everything consistent across the different sites. The, um, the way that the, the focus group was conducted um, was um, consistent and the training was all done via Skype. So it worked out well, but as with as with most research projects, research projects, especially international ones, there is sometimes a challenge of finding the, the person that will do it for you. But we, we were lucky in the end with the help from colleagues at the MEC. Great, thanks, Jennifer Amanmet. Um, we have a question um, in the Q&A, which I'm going to read out. A question for Manmet. you discussed the role of the local as a theme that came out in thinking about Ms. Marvel from both the London and Sharjah focus groups, in particular how young Muslim women were keen to discuss demographics in their local neighbourhoods and even a local superheroine in Amara. Given this interest in the hyperlocal, did you get the sense that participants were resistant to broader ideas of a transnational or a global Muslim feminist identity? Wow, firstly, that is an amazing question. <laughs> um, I think there's not a, even though there is there is this connection between the global and the local, there's a need, I think, for communities and, and, and certain groups to have that um, uniqueness and have their experience um, represented. And I think for most, I think in London, we had that experience very much coming out with what's happened in London, the, the attacks in London were quite soon, quite close, they were quite um, near to when we did some of the interviews. And in Sharjah, there was this, you know, some Emiratis were saying, well, you know, she's great, but she's not really us. So there's always that tension, I think, between the global and the local. On balance, if I'm going to make a, a judgment, I think there is, for most young people, just a sense of relief that there is some, some sort of representation out there. They might have their, you know, they might be a little bit apprehensive, uh, they might be a bit critical, but I think for most people we spoke to, they were just happy to see someone like them um, even if it was imperfect representation in some parts, and it is imperfect, I think they were just apprehensive, but on, on the whole happy that there was someone like them out there in this universe. Now, I think, they, I think there'll always be that need to have someone that's more representative of, of your particular you know, community or culture. Hopefully, in the future, we'll see more characters like Amara, you know, that kind of draw on that experience. And ideally, you'd get the bigger characters, but also this recognition of diversity within diversity. It's taken Marvel this long to get to, to diversity. So maybe the next thing is diversity within diversity where we see, you know, an Indian superheroine or, you know, um, you know, someone that's more consistent with, with different groups. So I think there is an, I think there is um, 
an appetite for this. I think there is a sense of relief. And but I do think that runs parallel with a with this. I think quite human uh, desire to have someone that speaks to your life more explicitly. I don't know if Jennifer or Issa, you want to. Um, sorry, Jennifer or Dima, I'm looking at your, <laughs> your screen name. Sorry, <laughs> um, I don't know if Jennifer or Dima, you want to. You want to. Um, you know. Uh, expand on what what Mamet said. Yeah, building on what Mamet has just said, I think it's certainly true, and this was striking that in every focus group, there was a uniform recognition of the value of representation and the value of diversity. So there was absolutely no disagreement on that point. The debate and the discussion was all on around what positive and appropriate and authentic representation should be like. So it's the further discussion of, okay, we agree this is important and it needs to happen, but now how should it happen? And for me, the entanglement of the local and the global is fundamental because it's inescapable. In every single place, both elements were present. So there's nowhere where we could say this is uniquely and exclusively local, that intermingling of the two was really the hallmark of the conversations that we had. And I think, again, it speaks volumes of the moment in which we live, uh, the experience that all of our lives now have, uh, and very much that sense in which really, you know, we are all of us in these liminal spaces where cultures in between, you know, to borrow Homi Baba's term, is redolent in our own lived experiences. And so that I think was striking when we looked across the different conversations that we had. Thanks, Jennifer. And I think um, this was something that for me was so powerful about, about this project, about your findings from the project, this kind of way in which or the importance of seeing the global and the local or the local and the transnational in conversation rather than framing kind of one as more dominant, seeing the kind of two as an and and rather than an either or. And I think this was something that was so enriching about the, the findings from the, the project, this sort of, as you put it, Jennifer, intermingling of transnational gender references with local, um, local gender references and whatever that kind of therefore produces in this third space, this liminal space. Um, we have another question, which I, sorry, that's something horrible beeping on my laptop. Um, we have another question which I'm going to read out, um, which is for, for all three panellists. Um, do you think that the participants were quick to dismiss parts of Kamala's identity or experiences because they didn't identify with them? Does this feed into a larger problem found in the difficulty of getting young female Muslim representation right and quantifying its correctness due to differences in culture and strength of faith? But I mean, I would have to say that they were anything but quick to dismiss. And I think the 150,000 words is testimony to that in terms of the length of the data set. Um, I think that there was an awful lot of engagement with the idea. Contestation, of course, uh, but really a desire to want to talk about it, which comes through very strongly. So young Muslim women wanted to think about how others saw them and how they saw themselves and wanted to have a dialogue that would try and make sense of those possible contradictions. And again, for me, that was a major theme that came across. Um, Dima, if you'd like to jump in on that. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think Jennifer and I were quite blown away. And, I, and Polly, you spoke the way that, yes, there's the comic, 
but the way that the comic is able to open up these conversations and you know there was I think they really tried to I think they they did relate and I think they tried to you know I think they came at it with a very open mind and I think the amount of data that we've managed to collect is testament to how much they wanted to speak about And, and there might have been variances in the localities but the comics the character's ability to create commonality in different spheres is there um yes there's contestation yes there's critique but that's part of the engagement so i think it would have been much harder for us if we'd shown them these comics and they had been completely silent and not said anything but actually what we found was so much conversation um around what they're seeing and what they liked and what they were a bit uncomfortable with what what they could see happening in the comic but they could also see going on in their own lives but also they were speaking to each other as well you know in focus groups often we were just facilitating the discussion and what was really fruitful was the way that these young women in particular were drawing on their own experiences of family life pressure school and you know like Dima was saying you know career and um Miss Marvel this 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 character has you know is more than just a comic character she's able to open up these conversations and, and normalize them so there was a lot of engagement and I and I, and I agree with Jennifer that actually you know the, the the corpus of data that we've collected is testament to how much conversation and relatability there is Dima I don't know if you want to add to that I mean, I agree exactly what with what um, uh, Jennifer and Mam were saying, uh, you know, these conversations that were happening were very much about this idea of where the points where they would relate and the points where they wouldn't relate. You know, I mean, our focus groups were diverse enough that, you know, you had students who maybe came from, uh, you know, um, uh, conservative backgrounds or whatever. So, you know, they also had this kind of like a contention against the way that she was represented, this idea that, you know, why did she have to choose between the two? Why did it mean for her to become a superhero that she would have to dismiss her religion? Why couldn't it just be some, something organic that was in her life? Um, and so I, I totally agree with what, uh, you know, Jennifer and Matt were saying is that uh, they, they, were, they, they were really trying to find points of uh, a relation where they could see them themselves uh with the, with the character so um yeah I, I totally agree with what they were saying yeah and i think that's something that was so so provocative and mummy is as you as you kind of mentioned the sort of sheer relief that many young women found in kind of thinking oh finally there's someone who looks like me even if i hate the way she looks um it's someone that i can engage with it's someone that i can think you know i can disagree with but i can think with it's not this kind of um completely opposite or other representation which is something that's so provocative and enriching about the those quotes that you have in the report and there's many um Dima I think as you were just saying there's so many angles you could go down with with um following up the reports the body dress um Jennifer in the, the thing as you were saying in your comments on Singapore um the kind of discussions in Singapore that emerged around belonging not belonging um in it, this kind of Singaporean sense, which was very different to the other findings that you found. So it was this very, very kind of rich um, corpus of, of data. So thank you so much for um, for this really, really fascinating, really, really enriching report and presentation. Um, now we are out of time. Um, so unless there are any more questions that you want very quickly to get in, um, speak now or forever hold your peace. Um, otherwise, we'll wrap up here and I'll say thank you very much to our three panelists, the virtual um, 
round of applause and thank you so much to the audience for being here. Thank you for the questions um, and hopefully we'll be moving towards having embodied events <laughs> <laughs> rather than these disembodied Zoom, Zoom workshops. But thank you for being here with us and thank you very much to our fantastic speakers. Thank you, Polly. Thank you very much. And thanks also to the Middle East Study Centre for funding the project, without which yeah. we wouldn't even be having the conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Middle East Centre. <laughs> Thank you, Middle East Centre. <laughs> okay, thanks so much.